Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'll be buried in my grave. And now, live from beautiful Myrtleby, South Carolina, you're watching My Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Yes, it's me. Yes. Yes, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Yes, keep clapping. Clap for Shabbat. Clap for the Sabbath. How would we know it was the Sabbath if you didn't keep clapping? Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. Thank you for joining me on this special Sabbath episode, this wholesome Sabbath episode, this Shabbat Shalom of an episode that we're about to have on my fellow Americans. This is a Muddied Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on YouTube. Check us out on the old Instagram. Check us out on SoundCloud and on Twitter and on iTunes and Stitcher. Check us out on our website, muddiedwatersoffreedom.com. I almost forgot the website. I'd like to thank, as always, Kroger for my delicious, can you see that? Delicious, purified drinking water that I drink on this and most episodes of My Fellow Americans, Bulavanaka. The intro and outro music on this and every single episode of My Fellow Americans is from the talented Mr. Joe Davi. That is J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. Check him out on SoundCloud. Check him out on his band camp. He has a band camp and uh, you can buy all of his music. It's going to cost you like $10. You're going to have all of his music. It's amazing. Check him out. Thank you again, Mr. Bo- Joe Davi. Shout out to Tehran Turks, his mom and him as always. Guys, my guest tonight is a complete dynamo. And I say that with the absolute least amount of hyperbole that one can reasonably use when describing another human being as a complete dynamo. She started her career in her teens. She was a part of the Rand Paul for President campaign. And she is currently a reporter who has contributed to Rare Politics and many other publications. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show my, this very moment, newly adopted niece, Miss Zuri Davis. Zuri, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I don't know how to feel upon the news of learning that I have a new uncle, but I'm a- excited that it's you and not some crazy person. So, Well, it, it's, yeah. it's me, a crazy person. So it, it, it's kind of both of those things. But there is, like, a bar, I guess, and, like, <laughs> you're okay on I'm it. below the like, threshold of what's, what's yeah, the problem? Okay. Yeah. Well, congratulations so, on your new familial edition that you just found out the second. 
Thank you. And uh, yeah, thank you again for joining. Guys, I had a hard time getting Zuri. She's a, she's a big shot. And um, every time I try to reach her, she's like, oh, I'm really, really busy. And um, so I caught her at a, a weak moment. And, uh, and so she came on. So thank you again for joining me. And uh, guys, if you have any questions for me or Zuri, be sure to comment uh, and uh, uh, comment in there uh, on the show. And we will let you know if you are right or wrong. Um, Zuri, first thing I ask uh, anyone that's on the show is uh, how, uh, how would you describe your political beliefs and how would you say you got there? Would you say it was like kind of an aha moment uh, or was it sort of a gradual evolution? Well, um, so right now I, well, I say that as though it's going to (laughs) change and it's not going to, um, I would like to think of myself as a very consistent person, but I identify mostly with the libertarian politics. Um, and it wasn't always that way. I tell people that when I started in politics, I was a baby neocon. Um, so I was really into anything on Fox News. It's really into Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Pretty much like anyone that's kind of unbearable, I guess, today. <laughs> I was really into them. And culture, all those people. I had at least two of her books in my bedroom growing up. I do remember that. Um So basically, everything kind of changed when I went to college, just like everyone else. Um, So I volunteered for Mitt Romney's political um, or presidential campaign, and he lost badly. And after he lost, our on-campus college Republicans didn't really have a lot of events. So I was looking for ways to be politically active. Um, So I found our on-campus libertarian group and they caught me (laughs) in their grasp and they slowly started feeding me libertarian propaganda. And it got to a point to where I couldn't defend my side anymore because I didn't have the facts to look it up. Right. or to back it up. So right. each time I looked things up, I slowly became more libertarian because it was more consistent with politics, I guess, and like how the world works. So like um, right now, I'm really, really, really into criminal justice reform. I think that drugs should be decriminalized at the very least. I think that mandatory minimum sentencing should go away. I don't think that people should be in prison for nonviolent drug offenses. And I remember when I first met that libertarian group, (laughs) I was very much of the belief that weed was just as bad as heroin and that if you made things (laughs) illegal, people wouldn't do it anymore, which is why I know it's in prison. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I thought if it was illegal... People wouldn't do it, and that's why no one's in prison for murder right now, because it's illegal. Of course, because it's illegal. You know, you yeah. have, have murder-free zones, and, and it doesn't happen. It's funny, right. because I, I have a very similar... Um, I, I think I, w- I was always in favor of legalizing drugs, but it was just because I was a drug addict. Um, and so I was I, I wasn't consistent with that uh, with conservative <laughs> orthodox. I was a conservative who also had a, a really big uh, a substance abuse problem. There but, um, are a lot of people who are like they oppose legalization but they've definitely tried marijuana in college so oh, yeah. and some yeah. of them are presidents yeah i <laughs> so. tried it every day um a lot and so uh, um i kept trying um and so so i was always that but i was very much a neocon i was um um i think you were a bit young for this but i i was very active in supporting the iraq war and boycotting france because you know they wouldn't bomb iraq with us and like i mean it was very much into like you know we have to keep 
We have to create democracy around the world and keep Israel safe from the evil Muslims. Um, and so, uh, and so, and it and it took, you know, being exposed to other uh, uh, co- more consistent conservatives, actual conservatives, and and libertarians to to really challenge that that ideology. So it sounds like you kind of went through a similar thing on the on the college campus. Yeah. So, um, so I have had the pleasure of watching you bloom from an awkward little foal <laughs> into the beautiful, graceful, elegant lady stallion that I see before me today. Uh, we actually met when you were uh, active in the uh, Rand Paul campaign, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, was that sort of kind of fed into from college going straight into Rand Paul or was there a bit of, I, I don't know the timeline there. Did you kind of go straight from that into, into that? Yeah, so I got really lucky um, in my libertarian transition um, because when that happened, that's when Rand was kind of like doing his thing in Congress and he was like on a roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know when I was in call, I think it was either like just before I started college or like right at the beginning, um, he did his... Um, filibuster for privacy and then i know oh yeah 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 yeah. so like that was something that i admired just because like if you put out like lofty ideas in front of me i was really into it but like everyone else who's kind of like a diehard for their party um i didn't really see how inconsistent the action was i guess right um but and then so right after college he had like another filibuster so i remember like just everything he did he was like a superstar at that time so it was really easy to kind of keep on riding that wave because he was always up to something um and i remember uh i just started getting interested in urban politics just because i do believe that big government has harmed the black community um i think it's been a vehicle for systemic racism oh absolutely <laughs> uh, yeah yeah um so it was really cool because he was the first 2016 presidential candidate to go on a speaking tour of HBCUs. He actually did his before Hillary Clinton did hers. And unlike Hillary Clinton, he actually took questions and answered them. Uh, But that really stood out to me because I had spent a lot of time around white Republicans and even for ideas that would benefit their party, they just right. kind of pretend like either black issues don't exist or black people don't exist. And it's always been like a weird there. There's always been kind of like a, a thing preventing me, I guess, from fully being a Republican. And he, I didn't really realize it at the time when I was deeply ingrained in that stuff. But as I got older and started to care about more things, it was kind of frustrating to see that they would never really be on that level of caring about those issues so Rand paul really stood out to me for caring well they're kind of paternalistic right so like even when they are at least it seems to me like even when they have something that they they have a message that could be very popular in and i don't want to speak generally you know, all black people are going to like this but it's something that the black community writ large you know as a whole could could really potentially see the the you know the, the the good from that you know lower taxes or or lower regulations but the way mm-hmm. they sort of come at the black community and 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 will say you know like 
um, you know, get off the plantation and like, you know, like the, the, the wording is, is I, I guess paternalistic is just the best way that, that I can think of it, that it, it, it comes off as this. And even, even the black people often that are the ones that get knighted to do this, <laughs> seem to yeah. like be the worst. at it. It's like, why, yeah. why was this was the black person you chose? And and not all. I mean, there are definitely some out there that are that are doing great things in spreading their their beliefs and so but forth. But the I, ones who get put up on Fox News, honestly, just gonna <laughs> call them out. Like the sheriff David Clark's and the Diamond and Silks of the world oh my gosh, are doing Silks. nothing. <laughs> yeah, they are doing nothing to help. They have like no policy ideas. All they do is like I just the feelings I have for all these people are very strong, and it's unfortunate <laughs> because there are good people who right. have spent who have literally dedicated years and all kinds of resources to these ideas, right. and they will literally never make it to that level because that's not what people want to hear. And it's right, because yeah, I mean, Diamond and Silk are serving. A, a very interesting purpose, which is that, yeah. I mean, it feels like they're sort of like a cartoonish caricature of what <laughs> white boomers want yes. the black community to be. And they want to hear them say, ooh, chow, I love me some Donald Trump. Or like, I mean, it, I, I, I can't <laughs> yes. watch it. Like, I've, I've watched maybe a total of 32 seconds of Diamond and Silk spread out over maybe 15 clips. Like, I, I, I watched two or three seconds. I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't yeah. do it. It's like, it's, it's like, it's like, this is, this is a few degrees separated from, you know, Al Jolson. And he wasn't even black. Um, You know, it, like, I mean, it's, it's just off of that. Um, you know the, the old Kingfish cart, uh, Kingfish uh, the radio. I'm I'm dating myself a lot right now. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, now I, I wanted to ask you. So um, you said you were you know young, much younger. You're in your twenties, much younger when you were a child, a literal child. Uh, you were more of I guess a neo, baby neocon like me. Um, were your par- are your parents conservative or were were you the the Republican black sheep of the family or what? How was that? What was that like? Literally, um, like, also. I wasn't going to say that, but I'm just, you know, figurative black sheep. I mean, because you're black, you said that. <laughs> I did. Um, so when it comes to my parents, they're kind of an anomaly in many ways. Um, and they're like, you can't really put them in a box. Um, okay. But to their credit, they are very personally conservative, but they didn't actually share their political beliefs with me. Um, they let me figure them out on my own. Mm. And there was a time where I was way more Republican than they were. They actually were registered independents. But it's, I, I guess, like my upbringing, of course, and just like little things they would say, like it did kind of help shape why I gravitated towards right 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 mm-hmm. but i definitely like went way further than they did <laughs> and it's funny now because like my parents are still they're they're more forgiving of the republican party and this is right. like a big thing with like um just like evangelicals i guess <laughs> so you know it's that very we don't know trump's heart but we still have to pray for him. But of right. course, if it's like Hillary Clinton, like she doesn't get that at all. Satan, right, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. you know. So right. my parents are, they're they are not as bad as some other people. And they definitely are critical thinkers. So like I would hate for someone to be like, oh, like your parents are so ignorant. Like they really aren't. They definitely do think 
more um and they do care about black issues like my dad and i talk about james baldwin a lot you know (laughs) so like they like aren't self-hating or anything like that but i guess they just have like they're more open to that relationship and i'm very not open to that relationship because i lived in that world and then i lived in that world in washington dc um and then i came out a libertarian (laughs) if that says anything well, you kind of went through the blender, right? Yeah. Um, isn't it sad that you have to sort of preface saying like, well, yeah, my parents are conservatives, but they don't hate themselves because they're black. Like, it's like... Honestly, oh. though? <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's not It's not out of nowhere that you're saying that. Like, I yeah. mean, it's it, because... They're few, they're, they're kind I of... will... Yeah, and I used <laughs> to really hate that um, because I used to think like, well, I do think these things, like, they are genuine for me, but... Right. Um, since meeting some other people <laughs> that I like, I, I, I can see where that stereotype comes from, but also it's a stereotype. So that means it's not true for all people and not even no, most course. people. Um, and I definitely know a lot of black Republicans who do care about themselves and the culture, but unfortunately um, a lot of the people again, who get, pushed up through the ranks and are kind of plastered on television. I've also met those people and there are a lot of internal things that I think they should work on first. Well, I mean, they're not black. They're American. Sorry. They're American. (laughs) Yeah. This is America. Which is funny because at the end of the day, like it just makes me think of Tim Scott um, on the floor talking about how, even though he's a sitting Senator and most people really do, like of all the politicians, he's one you could really recognize, and he was still pulled over and treated a certain way because of his skin color, regardless. Yeah. So, and it's very obvious he's Tim Scott. Like no one, yeah. <laughs> like he's a very he's a very uh, unique looking individual. I, I, there's no mistaking him. Yeah. For anyone else, Tim Scott yeah. was, uh, I believe, the last Republican I voted for. Oh, wow. Interesting um, factoid, everyone, because I'm from South Carolina. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Interesting factoid. Tim Scott last. Because, uh, yeah, because of 2014. And uh, I didn't vote for most of them. And I voted for Tim Scott because I, uh, um, uh, just because I knew how many people that would rile up. And uh, so I voted for him. And uh, for some reason, Lindsey Graham was also on that i'm not sure why both senators were on that ballot in 2014 but they were i think tim scott was be, oh it was because he was specially appointed but he had to be put on the ballot or something anyway um and i instead i put one of my dogs uh, i wrote him in for for uh, Lindsay's seat um we lost the, that election in, in the recount um but uh but yeah so that's that's an, yeah so so um last republican that i voted for tim scott I think um, the last Republican I voted for was Rand in the primary, and then I voted for Gary Johnson. Um, and then I still like had my Florida ballot. So this is like really bad of me because I didn't change it over. Right. And then I voted like all libertarians. I think um, I forget like which big seat was up, but yeah, I wasn't really. Oh, I know it was like an attorney general thing. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure like <laughs> Pam Bondi was like on the list or something. So it's like. Mm, what is the next choice? Yeah, so. not Pam Bondi. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. So with the so so you got you got on the Rand Paul campaign. Uh, that was when I met. No, so right before that, so around the time I met you, I think right after I met you, 
you were briefly in the news and it was because you were being harassed over the fact that you were uh, a, a, a black a woman and a, a black woman who uh, was supporting uh, Rand, who's obviously a Republican. And I don't remember all the... What was that? Like, were you actually like cyber bullied over that? Like, what was that all about? I don't even remember now. Um, one, I just want to say that's such a giant throwback because it feels like it happened forever ago now. No, if, yeah, um, it feels like a decade ago. It was like... Yeah. But um, so basically I was really into rant like you can just kind of see like my pictures from 2014 and 2015 with brand shirts yeah oh yeah like he was all over my facebook um nope. but someone's like mutual friend or i like had a mutual friend with the person who took issue with it but i didn't actually know them oh, okay. in at all um so our mutual friend screenshot what he said and he was just like oh like don't you know that rand is like a racist and a sexist and it made me mad because i can honestly say that rand paul is the only republican that i've ever like voted for that i know that i did my research before deciding that i wanted to support him right. and like i have all of these different facts about the things that he had said and what he had done um and like the things that he stood for and voted for in congress that went into my decision and i was mad that it was reduced down to gender and race um because it, it because wasn't like he's that a republican yeah like, it, it made me feel like all of my research was invalidated and i was very prideful about that so um i wrote a response back saying well, I care because, you know, I care about the black community. Um, right. I care about privacy. Here's how he stood up for all of those things. And it just kind of took off and it helped my career take off, which is really nice. I do appreciate that. So thank you, everyone who shared that article. Uh, <laughs> now I can pay rent and pay for food for my dog. <laughs> oh, that's right. You have a dog. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, His name uh, is Bishop. Bishop. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying. I was like, it's something to do with. Vatican hierarchy. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. So I actually settled on that name before I decided to convert to Catholicism. Fun fact about me, if you don't know. Um, but... So that was be I assumed that it was, you know, like, I'm so Catholic, I'm naming my dog after Catholicism, but it was actually the opposite? Yeah. So um, oh. I'm like really into, uh, I definitely idolize certain parts of Southern culture. And I really like the, like, wild west like religious aspect so like i love when tv shows have characters and their names are like deacon or booker or things like that right. um so i was like going off of that and i named him bishop and um there's actually a guy uh, well i live in nashville now and there's a guy that i met who was kind of from east tennessee and he told me it was a good name for a southern black man and i was happy because that's exactly what i was going for <laughs> You want to give him the persona of a Southern black man. Yeah. So like, will your next uh, dog be like shoemaker and like, you know, like you'll have, your, you'll have all the, all the different uh, Wild West names. That's I'm going to, I'm going to try. I'm going to see. Like I want, if like, if you think about my dog, like I want you to think about like some, like a granddad sipping iced tea on his porch or something. So that's exactly what I got from that, by the way, not Catholicism. <laughs> I'm going to have to read. 
retool how I've been thinking of your dog all this time. <laughs> really like thinking like heavily like that he would come in with the with the the um the incense or the whatever that that they have when they walk yeah. down the the aisle. This is how much I know about Catholicism that they the incense. I'm sure that's what the bishop does. Is the here comes the bishop with the incense. Kind of. It's like more like the altar boys do it, but I think the bishop like holds it for a second. I don't know. It's like confusing because the bishop worships in his own spot. Um, and I don't always go to like the cathedral because I have my own parish. <laughs> so it's a lot. Um, it's a lot of stuff to learn. <laughs> so, but it's been really fun so far. Now, have you, uh, so, I mean, it's Christianity, so it's not like you've converted to yeah hinduism or something but did you have any like within your family or loved ones did, was there any pause or backlash or anything when you said you did that or oh goodness um so my mom <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you um so my mom used to be catholic um oh, and okay. then she stopped which like is fine because like i do understand why she transitioned when she was growing up she had a lot of questions and she didn't have good educators Hmm. so by the time she met my dad and they became church of christ um just like another type of christian um when she asked questions people actually had answers for her and that just kind of goes to show the importance of you know if someone asks you something and you're supposed to be a a religious leader like you should be well studied enough (laughs) to answer those important questions and really she finally really anything in general if yeah. someone asks you something and you want them to join or remain a part of your thing and you, yeah. and you just don't answer, that's it's not good. A good idea. You really should answer them. Oh, yes. I so. 100% agree. Right. Um, but because of that, um, a lot of people have used like her conversion against me. <laughs> um, so like they don't really know that that's why she converted. But right. some people um will be like oh well, i just hope you see the truth like your mom did and it's like well i did see the truth and now i am where i am <laughs> so like let's try another tactic i guess but it's been a bit of a shock but um even though for my dad especially because he grew up church of christ and right. his dad and all of that um it's been a shock for him but he's been really good about being respectful about it and then now we're having different conversations and like I grew up the way that he did so there are things about the Catholic Church that he didn't understand and it's been really nice to be able to show him like oh hey like here are the actual beliefs like you know like we don't worship Mary like we don't believe <laughs> like half of the misconceptions that are out there but it's been pretty fun so far yeah and i mean i'm i'm jewish so maybe i'm not kidding <laughs> but I, I i i to me it's like i i know that there are major uh, uh foundational differences between catholicism and the protestant and, and mm-hmm. evangelical religions and you know the, the non catholicism and non-catholicism there's there's some some large schisms there and i, I get that yeah. but it's still christianity like it's not like you can't went home and said i worship satan now like you know like it, yeah it, you know it's but but i get yeah, when it's your kid and you yeah i, I get it um yeah. so so pivoting back to to Rand Paul speaking of Catholicism <laughs> uh Rand Paul um wait I'm like okay not confirmed I'm going to have to ask him I'm like a good 85% convinced that like one of his brothers is catholic cuz every time I talk about the church he always comments about like 
his parish or something. And they're just like, you're Catholic? Oh. Like, that's so awesome. Well, maybe they're, are, are the Pauls Catholic, maybe? I don't so know. I know um, when I used to Google them <laughs> <laughs> for fun. I cyber stalked the Paul family. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure, sh- I feel like they aren't Catholic. Don't quote me on this. Okay. You should definitely like ask them. Um, but right I feel like. Talking. Yeah, um, I, like, briefly remember the mention of, like, some sort of Christian, like, religious activity. I'm just not sure on what that is, but I don't necessarily think that they're Catholic. But I feel like maybe one of his brothers is. <laughs> so if he would like to confirm that, uh, that'd be cool. And Yeah, he's, he's coy about it, apparently. He doesn't say, mm-hmm. he doesn't yeah. say what he is. How about that? That's a factoid. We've had we've been a factoid heavy show. Um, so um, so when you were doing when you were uh, volunteering with the Rand Paul campaign, I remember you would put out um, some like uh, skits and things like that, and you uh, routinely invited me to every Rand Paul event in the entire I am lower so 48. sorry. What, no, I was fine with wow. it because I also get invited to a lot oh, of yeah. things everywhere. But it was like, come meet Rand in Oregon. I'm like, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll try. I'll do. I'll do my best. Um, but um, uh, there was something that he did, I think, in Charleston that I tried to get to and, and w- wasn't able to do it. But but yeah, the Oregon stuff. I'm like, you know, I don't know what's happening next week. Maybe I'll be in Oregon. Who knows? Oh yeah, um, just cash. You know, yeah, you could do Uber Uber it. Um, but uh, um. So I remember you did the skit. You did one where um, you were Marco Rubio's secretary and you were explaining why no one could reach him ever or something like that, that he was busy. Do you remember that? Yes. Because he like never voted or something. Like that. It literally, it popped up in my memories like a few weeks ago. Oh, really? Yeah. That was an interesting time. I mean, I still believe that, by the way. I feel like if you get paid um, the amount of money that you do, like you don't even have to vote, but like at least pretend like you're kind of showing like you're up. Gonna be there, right? Yeah. yeah. I so. remember. I remember, and it was like Marco Rubio's office. Oh no, sorry, he's really busy, and you were like playing on your phone or something like that. And I'm, it was funny. Um, so then, and again, I'm. I'm. I. I don't know your. Obviously, I don't know your timeline as well as you do. Did you then get into doing the reporting and stuff like that, or or was it kind of a seamless thing from one to the other? Or were you already doing that when you were with the Paul campaign? So when I did that, um, I still worked for Rare, but I worked in like a different capacity. Um, so I had more of an assistant role as an editorial assistant, um, and it wasn't. I I can't really say if it was like around that time or like just after but then i transitioned into more like a full-time writing role um so i was a media writer there so pretty much any um like big speech the debates god bless (laughs) um i hate debates so much now especially (laughs) after those ones because that was a nightmare from hell there wasn't a lot being learned at those debates Oh my gosh. Like, um, I remember, so I did like a huge Facebook cleanup because I was like really, I was disappointed. I'm disappointed in myself now for being so invested in politics at that level. Cause right. at the end of the day, you can't change anything. And like 
there's no point in being that angry. Um, but I remember something from the debates and like everyone's introduction was how they randomly had like a connection to Ronald Reagan. And it's like, okay, <laughs> that's not a policy point, but okay. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure one of them was I met Reagan when I was a little boy. Therefore, I'm the most Republican person on this stage. And it's like, oh, God. Oh, like... It's like, you know, who who got to touch King Arthur before he died or something. Like <laughs> yeah. No, I remember the worst part with the debate that I remember that wasn't something Trump did was um, uh, they were asking each of the, uh, the uh, candidates what they thought their weakness was. And... Um, <laughs> And Trump, of all things, Trump actually gave a pretty like non-political answer. He was like, you know, uh, my wife says that I take things too personally or something like that. And I'm like, that was an actually surprisingly introspective answer that I didn't expect from you in this moment of all moments. Very um, was like, this is a very human moment from you of of all time. And uh, Rand, because he wasn't getting a lot of time, he said, I'm not going to answer that. And he started talking about whatever he wanted to talk about. But, mm-hmm. but the, uh, Ted, Ted Cruz, uh, our, our good friend, um, great beard he has now, by the way. Um, I don't want to compliment it. because <laughs> No, I know. It's one of those things where I'm it's like, damn it, that beard. It. I hate that that yeah. beard looks as good as it does. Like, I don't but, like, like- I will say, like, it's nice that he has, like, the salt and pepper thing going on because, like, I I will compliment the color, but not the shape. (laughs) (laughs) Because you have principles. Yes. You're not a, a, you know, political uh, crony. Yeah. I'll just comment that the coloring is nice, Ted. Um, Mm -hmm. What I like is that he started growing it as he's started randomly telling people that he does occasionally smoke weed and i was like who is this this is your this is how you celebrate beating beta or work as you're gonna grow your beard out talk about getting high um but he, he so his cool answer anymore. what's that yeah yeah i was gonna say he can't be cool anymore um after he said he doesn't listen to rock and roll after 9 11 because that makes oh god sense. i forgot about that oh, yes. that oh like, yeah he started listening to country music he started listening to country music after 9-11 because that's a natural reaction to that. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, interesting. Yes. But um, but he's, his answer to um, what is your greatest weakness was like, I fight too hard. I, I care too much. much. <laughs> I care too much. I was like, you oh, made Trump man. look better by like Trump who gave a legit answer and everyone else who's pandering like, oh, I care so much. And Rand, who was like, I refuse to answer that because you're not giving me time to actually talk about things that matter, which in his defense was true. Um, yeah. But uh, um, yeah, so that was that was a fun thing. But um, uh, but yeah, so I completely lost my train of thought. I don't even know. Oh, the debates. Okay, the debates. So Go ahead. We sorry. Um, my like writing timeline. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. yeah, that's all I had to say about the time I started writing, either right at that moment or like just after. Um, but unfortunately, that meant I had to watch every single debate, and I hated it. Now it actually makes me really not like the Democrats because they've already started to like um, announce like some of their debates, and I think they're gonna have like twenty something like some outrageous number of like 
forums just like okay i already don't like you guys because this is too much they're gonna make trump win yeah because there's 50 of them and they're all gonna compete (laughs) for who's the most womanly woman of color and in like a real pandery way and and half of them are gonna be white but they're gonna still have to do it because you got to do it now and uh they're gonna rip each other to shreds and then Joe Biden's going to get the nomination because the not Joe Biden, sort of in the same way that Trump won because for so long the non-Trump vote got split up so much until yeah. finally he was just the, the foregone conclusion. Joe Biden, who's far more likable in the, in the Democratic Party than Trump was in the Republican Party at that, at that time, is going to get the nomination. And Democrats are going to lose their freaking minds because Joe Uncle Touchy just won the nomination after they spent a year and a half talking about how intersectional their candidate needed to be um, in, like you said, probably 30 debates, um, yeah. which will be increasingly um, terrible uh, and shrill. Um, so you'll have a lot to write about, at least. Yeah, I'm just like if Jim Webb wants to jump in at this point, like oh, yeah. that would make things more bearable. Of course, he'd probably drop out again after a few weeks, which is unfortunate. And I can't really blame him for that because you could kind of tell where things were going. Um, like you could tell that Hillary was going to be the nominee, which is unfortunate to have things decided like that so early, but. Yeah, I feel like if he wanted to jump in, that would make 2020, like, bearable. <laughs> Just the year in general. Yeah. We actually talked about that on the on the show, Matt and I, that, you know, like, I'm an anarchist. I don't vote. If I voted, it would be for, like, Vermin Supreme or, like, oh, yeah. like a joke vote. Or, or actually, I shouldn't call him a joke vote because I would actually enjoy him being president. Um, But, you know, like, I think of, I you know... I can see someone who is defensively voting, however you call it. I could see someone saying, man, if my choices are Jim Webb and Trump, I'm jumping all over the Jim Webb train, um, like in a a Texas second. And um, I, uh, we were talking about that on the show, but the problem is he doesn't meet the democratic narrative of what they want. Um, Yeah. Just in identity before you even get into his, you know, moderate, you know, conservative leaning in some ways libertarian leaning in some ways progressive leaning in some way he's not what democrats want they want to fall in love with a hardcore intersectional feminist progressive um and uh and 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 have joe biden win anyway um uh get the nomination anyway so that would be interesting to watch what are so with your writing what are the things that you like to write about the most? Obviously, besides like, you know, when when you're picking out a news piece, what what would you say are the things that like really stick out to you that you like to write about the most? Um, so my favorite are anytime there's like a story, like a human story that can be talked about. I really like that. Um, I think a lot of times, um, Republicans and Democrats and libertarians too, they have political beliefs they support certain kinds of legislation they support politicians but at the end of the day um it really is about how it affects the american people um so people can say that they support x policy out of like goodwill um but if it actively harms someone i like to kind of show how 
because this thing was passed um, however many years ago, this person's life is now affected by it. Right. Um, and I will say a lot of that comes out um, in the criminal justice system. Yeah. So those are my favorite stories to write, um, criminal justice stories and prison stories. Um, so I was actually just thinking about this the other day and the story that I'm most proud of that I've recently written is about a man um, who was on death row and he was executed a few months ago in Texas, but basically the victim's family advocated for him to um, receive clemency to get life in prison um, because they uh, let me just like go back in the story. So basically about 14, 15 years ago, um, he shot and killed a store clerk in an attempted robbery. Okay. And that store clerk had a son. So when his son, the son grew up, he fully anticipated that he would sit kind of front row and center at his execution. Right. Um, but basically a filmmaker had gotten in touch with the man on death row and he did these series of videos about how he had changed his life around, how he was mentoring younger people who were at risk to show them that that wasn't the path that they wanted to go down. Right. Um, and how he had made all these changes. And the store clerk's son saw that and it touched something inside of him and made him realize that he didn't want um, the death row inmate's daughter to go through the same pain of losing a mm. father. And he saw that because he was um, penitent about his crimes and right. was trying to help other people, that made him change his mind about his execution. And unfortunately, um, he wasn't granted that clemency and he died anyway. But that mm -hmm. was such an interesting story about the death penalty. And even though these two families experienced a serious loss, um, they still came together. I guess for the sake of this man's life, and that was really interesting. Well, and it, it, it is very interesting, and and the 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 interesting part of the interesting thing about that with with the death penalty is that ostensibly the the, the main besides obviously punishing someone for um for the you know the murder um or murders um however many murders they've done and also for you know making sure that they never harm anyone like that again. There's also the punitive aspect, but but in addition to that, the re part of the reason for doing that as opposed to life in prison without parole is to give a sense of justice and finality and to some extent revenge to the survivors and loved ones of the per person or people that were killed. So when you have a situation, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I like, I was trying to hold it in. <laughs> Came out. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> These are natural things. Like it's not, it's natural. I in like the middle of such a great point too. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay because I, I can edit that out. I think <laughs> I, I can edit that out, or I can leave it in. Ah, whatever. Whichever, totally fine. I'm gonna leave it in. <laughs> Screw it. Um, but the uh, um, but but yeah. So in this case, you've got the loved one who is saying, "No, I don't want this to happen. I'd rather they." spend life in prison or or you know not not be executed and they do it anyway and it's it's you know that's the state is in charge there they're prop the person is property of the state which there's a whole 
subject there um and they can they can do what they what you know what they want with the person um so uh, something you had written about oh by the way i need to bring up something uh shout out to muddied waters media you were uh very briefly the <laughs> editor-in-chief of yes. the muddied waters um and, so and, when, and, when, and, and when i say very briefly i mean a a matter of hours yeah. basically <laughs> um so tell us how that went tell us about it, your career with muddied waters media I was going to say, so it's actually um, a really good, like, plug for Muddied Waters, I yes. feel. The girl who did it before me also did it, essentially, yep. <laughs> what felt like a matter of a hours. A few minutes, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then we both got really amazing jobs. Yeah. So the thinking is, if you become the editor-in-chief, then you'll get, like, a really amazing job really quickly. Yeah, so this is really, if you want to be an... If you want a fast track into the world of libertarian politics uh, in any capacity, an unpaid internship with uh, uh, with Muddy, and we'll give you a title and everything, like the president of the whatever, whatever you want to be called, we will call you that. And right around the time that we're like, hey, so what we need you to do, that's pretty much as soon as we <laughs> ask you to do anything, <laughs> that that's when you'll be like, uh, sorry, I just got a, a really good job in a, several states away. It's like, oh, okay, well, we understand. And and at this point, it's not even the several states away because I'm several states away. Um, it's just the inability to, to do the thing because you have a job now. Um, so yeah. if you don't have a job, any libertarians without jobs, if there is even such a thing, uh, uh, if there are any libertarians. There is such a thing. I, <laughs> I didn't say that, but if there are any uh, libertarians out there that want a job, um, we can give you an unpaid one uh, for about 50 seconds, and then you'll get a really great job somewhere else, uh, pretty much as soon as we need you for anything. Um, not bitter at all, uh, but uh, so no, that's good. So uh, so you, you, you've got your thing now. You don't, you don't need us anymore, and um, so you wrote a story. Uh, I think it's your most recent story that you wrote about the Groveland Four, and I had heard... I don't think I've ever heard this story. Um, and if I have, I, I mixed it with other similar stories and, 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 and it didn't stick out. Um, but basically, and I'm going to let you talk mostly about it, but uh, uh, the newly uh, minted ground. Pardon? The newly, <laughs> I don't know. New, no, no, no. The, the, the governor. The newly oh, yeah. governorized governor of Florida. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> what's that? governorized he was governorized he was he was straight up governorized uh the the new governor the governor he's not the governor elect anymore because he he was like the governor i don't know why i'm the governor of florida who is now governor i don't know why this is i have a hang-up on just saying that he's the governor the governor of florida uh ron DeSantis. uh he uh pardoned uh posthumously pardoned uh the groveland four and tell this story when I read it, it was absolutely insane. I read your story. Tell us a little bit about this, and and we can delve into how how this talks exactly about why policy matters. Yes. So basically, um, I guess it was in the fifties. The dates sometimes I'm like not the best on, but I think around the fifties, um, a white actual, woman. The alleged event was in 1949. So okay. So in the 40s, <laughs> but um, basically a white woman in central Florida accused four black men of raping her. Um, and before, you know, any due process could be carried out, which we have about two 
amendments regarding that um, in From our the beginning, we've had those amendments, yeah. Yeah, so obviously those things didn't apply because they were black <laughs> men <laughs> in the South. Yeah. Um, so basically the fallout was so it was such a miscarriage of justice like it you shouldn't be surprised because like we have heard stories like that but right. it's still kind of surprising to hear how far it went even to um, exactly even to know the types of things that happened how crazy this was it was like yeah. several magnitudes higher than what i would have even expected in the south back then yeah so basically um two of the men or three of the men <laughs> Wow, details today. Um, <laughs> the men were imprisoned. One of them um, kind of ran away, but basically a mob of several hundred men caught up to him, and he was shot about 400 times because yeah. uh, they found him like sleeping under a tree. For the other three men, two of them um, got their cases reheard, because Thurgood Marshall, while he was with the NAACP and before he became a Supreme Court justice, um, he heard their case. He heard of their cases, um, and then appealed for them to get new cases because there was no evidence really um, presented at the first case. And of course, they were tried by an all-white jury. <laughs> so, right. and there some was no there. evidence, right? Yeah. So um, the prosecutors. Um, didn't present any DNA linking them to the crime. They didn't present the medical findings of the alleged victim at the time. Um, and it later was suggested that the prosecutors kind of hid, um, like, you know, the facts that a rape <laughs> didn't actually occur. Um, so while these two of the three men um, were on their way to their new trial, the sheriff of the town actually shot them. Yep. And he said that they tried to escape. Um, one of them died, but one yep. of them survived. And he told an FBI informant that, no, we were not trying to escape. This, this was completely unprovoked. Um, and even though the FBI informant testified on their behalf that that had happened, nothing happened to the sheriff. And he was actually reelected several times. Uh, so basically... Two of the men were still alive at a certain point, and they eviction. Um, I can't speak today. <laughs> they eventually were released from prison. Um, one of the men, he actually died um, in 2012. Yeah. Uh, but the other guy, the one who was shot by the officer, he was found dead in his car, um, kind of just after being released. Um, also, in response to the alleged rape, a group of white residents went to a black town and they burned everything. They shot guns in the homes of people. And it's just crazy to think about because the town where everything happened, it is just north of where my grandparents live, um, oh, where wow. my dad was raised. And they lived in Florida for a very long time and it's really to, to read something like that and to think back on some of the things that they told me about their lives. Like it's really crazy to think that they experienced that and like they saw that so close to them. And like, I can understand better now, like when my grandparents have, 
hesitancies about things or, you know, they worry that their stuff is going to be taken, <laughs> you know, or things like that. Like Things that we think are absolutely ridiculous that they're thinking yeah. that, but they remember, it wasn't like, oh, this happened to my parents. It happened to them as adults and they're, you know, having to adjust to this reality and we're all like walking around on our iPhones like, ah, you know, like whatever. And then I don't have an iPhone, I have an Android, but that we're all walking around like, you know, so uh, detached from these things and then when someone will you know like you said they'll they'll you know verbalize a fear of something and we're like ah that'll never happen it's like that happened yeah literally right here the not that hour. long ago right yeah it's crazy so it was like the the case was like re- obviously completely ridiculous and there's no justice for these people um there's no evidence obviously there's a lot of bias in their trial and there's prosecution tutorial misconduct which fun fact still happens today and i am actually working on a story about that right now um and i don't want to like spoil it because like it's a longer piece but i am very excited about it um but basically the alleged victim's family they actually are still they were against the pardons because the woman was still she's still alive and she was still very adamant about her story um but one of the women who's related to one of the black guys said that while she was a teacher um she actually came across a story written by one of her family members and the family member essentially said uh you know we were told to be quiet about this. And like, I'm not completely sure. Oh, that sure. it was made up and to be quiet? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I'm not completely sure. Like, she didn't present like the letter or anything, but it just wouldn't surprise me, I guess. So, uh, that was the thing. So the the woman that claimed she was raped, so she's still alive. She's still saying she was raped. Yeah. And now and her, that it was her them that did. Like, yeah. And it's actually really funny to, well, it's not funny, but it's interesting to think about because her family still believes her, even though historians have gone back and they've looked at all the documents and evidence and all of that, and they've concluded that nothing happened in that area. My sister still actually lives there. Um, and like, she's always telling me about stuff that goes on and how different it is from the place where we grew up, which we grew up in South Florida. Um, it's very very mixed down there like you have all kinds of cultures and that's not to say racism doesn't exist down there but it's 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 more of a melting pot than like america as a whole (laughs) is a melting pot right and i say that to mean um a lot of times even if like black people and white people and hispanics um asians all those people even if they live together they keep to their own separate corners kind of um but in south florida people are pretty like mixed in down there so like you really do actually interact with people of other races and ethnicities but it's just interesting that you know they're still holding on to that idea of this woman was wronged and even in death those men can't have justice because it's her word (laughs) against theirs and here's the thing with that like okay let's let's for for a moment assume take her at her word that 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 this happened and and that one or more of them were responsible for it if if you don't have any evidence you know this is like talking about the the kavanaugh thing that matt and i had to talk about for about a month and a half uh like six episodes straight where we just kept saying the same thing if you don't have 
especially in a trial, it's one thing about public opinion. If you are in a trial and have zero evidence that something happened, that's the end of it. Like it's it's un, it's unfortunate. Again, assuming that she you know wasn't that that she everything she's saying is true and that they they absolutely did it. If you don't have evidence, and, and there's a reason for that because. You could just say someone did something and that would be enough for them to get in trouble for it. So, I mean, at the very least, there wasn't enough evidence to actually convict them. And so that's at best. And at worst, she was making it up or embellishing or the police leaned on her to say it was these people or, or whatever. But, I mean, that's not enough to do that. And then, like you said, it, it, it then sprung out into where they're attacking, you know, an entire city full of people and, you know, ransacking a city, raising a city because they're angry that, you know, four black men may have done something. Um, and it just shows like how resentful of just the fact that, I mean, ultimately it came down to, they were resentful of the fact that black people were living free near them, near sort of near them. Um, and this sort of just, this was enough for them. Is that Bishop? (laughs) It is. Hi, Bishop. (laughs) Gosh, I like felt something on my back. I'm <laughs> very dog oriented. I'm like, is that a dog? Yes, um, this is this is Bishop. Hi, Bishop. I am. I don't know if you can see it or not, but I got him a St. Francis medal. So if he ever goes missing, I know that St. Francis will be interceding on his behalf and watching over my dog's safety. <laughs> that is the most adorable catholic dog story i've ever heard yeah I and i've heard many as yeah. you can imagine oh, yeah. thousands that goes into the panoply of, of dog uh catholicism that that I, I i know and love um but yeah so i mean it's just it's crazy how the fact that they were just resentful of the fact that black people were being free just this one thing was enough to turn into like a race a small race war um so i mean it's it's great that we've come as far as we have um but it was it was really good that uh that that i mean it's obviously you can't take back what happened but it's good that now at least officially on the record um you know these people are 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 innocent and that the you know the state is acknowledging that um i i I wanted to get um your thoughts on something if you if you have the time for it yes okay good i didn't know if you're gonna have to take bishop out or something oh no Um, he's just like laying down okay Yeah, he's like Axel. He's very chill. Yeah. Axel is somewhere here, I'm sure. I would um, not say he was chill, though. I think he's chill right now, but he's definitely a giant puppy. So, how old is he? He's a year and a half. Oh about. wow! So, yeah. Oh, so he's young. Mm-hmm. My glasses are. <laughs> They're crooked again. They are. They're crooked again. They keep doing. The... <laughs> it's like, oh, how old is your dog? That's awesome. Tell me more yeah. about your dog's age. So Axel just had his 10-year anniversary of when we adopted him. That's awesome. And he was a full-ass grown dog when we got him. So he's probably 13, wow. 14 years old. He's an old man. He's our old He's our old man. Aww. Yeah. He's not cute anymore. But um, he is. I've definitely seen pictures of him. He's beautiful. He, oh, he's beautiful, but he's not cute. Um, no. He's beautiful, and then there's cute. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so we were fostering a puppy for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. she's, she's, uh, she's gone now. Um, and she'll still come and visit, but she's not here. And he has had full on temper tantrums a few times cause he wants his puppy back Aww. and he keeps pulling the, the, um, 
the uh, cushions off the furniture and just looking at me like, where's the puppy? You know, like, that's really sad. <laughs> yeah, no, he's really like having a bitter, he's a bit bitter about it. And he'll go by where her crate used to be and just look at me like, it's like, look, the puppy will come when the puppy comes. Don't yeah. stop. Like, leave the couch alone. Um, but um, so I, I wanted to get your opinion about this. Speaking of couches, um, this has nothing to do with couches. So you have, um, you, you I know you participated in uh, women's marches and got a tremendous amount of flack for describing yourself as a feminist, um, like a lot of flack. Um, and um, and I, I just wanted, so what does feminism mean to you? Um, okay. I mean, <laughs> it's going to sound really basic, but it really is the idea that women are equal to men. <laughs> um, and I will say that I think it surprises people, obviously, because I'm not a Democrat or progressive at all. Right, right. Um, but I do identify as a libertarian. And then, like, personally, I'm very conservative. And obviously now, like, um, I'm catholic and i feel like if you think about catholicism (laughs) like you really kind of think that it's like the opposite of feminism um but i've been lucky to find a lot of women who think similar to me similarly to me so um over time i've met a lot of pro-life feminists and catholic feminists and where one place where we really differ from more progressive women uh no offense is that we think that feminism is more of like a social thing and like progressive feminists do think it's social but they also are really big into policy and i don't think that policy is going to fix things and i don't think that policy is always necessarily the problem um so for example i think a big feminist victory is teaching women how to ask for raises um i don't believe that um let me backtrack. I believe that some of the economics that go into things like the wage gap are a little bit, um, they are misinformed a little bit. Um, and I, I do believe that there are some problems, I guess, with like inequality in the workplace. Um, and I've definitely had that experience of I've said something, a guy will come after me say the same thing and he'll get the praise for the idea but like, that's genius why did no one else say that right yeah but in terms of like maliciousness from right. the employers on that behalf i think a lot of times it is like a bit of a social thing so women um were very sorry bishop come here <laughs> he's like messing with the lamp and like it's making the room go wonky um he's like yeah but- tell, tell him about feminism yeah right He's very interested in this topic. Uh, but yeah, so women, um, we care, we we take feelings more into account right. uh, of other people. So we're less likely to like push hard for something that we believe in. And we can tend to be more passive. So we think that if we come to work, um, we do all the right things, someone will notice our success and right. that's how raises go. Um but a lot of times and, it, and it's not yeah. yeah yeah especially if you're dealing like if your boss is a man um men don't work that way um, you do have to be very direct with them yeah. so i have actually sat in on conservative feminist groups where the speaker sat and taught 
us how to ask for a raise. And I think that that's a feminist victory. That's that great. That yeah. I mean, there's, you know, someone might laugh at that, but that's a good thing because there yeah. is, there are, and you can blame it on genetics. You can, or not genetic, you can blame it on physiology. You can blame it on conditioning, or you can say it's a combination of the two, but there is generally speaking, not always, not all, not all. Yeah. Hashtag not all. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, generally speaking, women tend to be more agreeable and accommodating. There's less variation. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to start sounding like Jordan Peterson. Um, the, uh, uh, the, you know, there, there's not as much variability in in their in their moods. So that they tend to have a more stable range of moods than mm-hmm. a man who could be all over the place. And, and they're, they're t- tend to be less direct and, and try to find more agreeable ways to say things, which are good and applicable in some things. But yeah. for specifically saying, I need more money from you. That's not uh, uh, more often than not. That's not a good way to, to try to do it is to be as agreeable as possible. So, yeah. to, so to have someone actually structurally break down how to do that is like you said, that's a big feminist victory. Yeah. So um, I'm like, so for me personally, I define my feminism a lot through things like mentorship like that. Um, so I think just giving other women, especially younger women, um, just like a place where they can come and they can talk and older women can share their experiences. I think that's important because I feel like a lot of girls especially kind of get the short end of the stick sometimes when it comes to education. And I don't mean like K-12 education. I just mean like education about like, here's how the world works, but also like, here's how to get over these barriers and here's how to work with different kinds of people. And I feel like guys don't really get that education either, but it's easier for them when there are more men to be around because they just kind of know. But like, if you're a woman like me, who the only man in my house is my dad, it was like all girls, essentially, like, that's not something that I would just naturally know how to do. And it's been really helpful to have women mentors show me different ways to get over those things. That's really good. That's really good. I need to get this thing and plug it into the computer so that this can continue. <laughs> if it doesn't, everything's going to get shut off immediately. So now you're going to watch me wobble out of this chair. And then, then uh, so people, when they see me try to get out of a chair, they assume it's because of MS that I get out like a 95-year-old man who has problems. It's actually, has nothing to do with that. Um, it is because I, ah, uh, back problems. And I, uh, I have, uh, hold on one second. I have all sorts of back issues and I hurt too. Um, and I also have a tailbone injury that, uh, flares up occasionally. Okay. I sound, I, this is peak Judaism, by the way, talking about my ailments. Um, and I can't even hear your response because I don't have my headphone on. I'm just really just talking to myself about how my back hurts. This is really kind of the the epicenter of you. You're, you're Jewish when you talk to yourself. Um, I can hear you now. Um, I, I when you just talk to yourself about like, oh my back. Ah. I'm crying. Ah. Um, also, there's actually so they market it for pregnant women, but I'm pretty sure it's for like other like types of people too. Like but- Jews. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's something you can put 
chair. Okay. Like curves out. I don't know if I'm making a curve. I feel like I'm not, but whatever. Um, so it basically curves out and it has like kind of a spring in it. So you like put it in your chair and then you sit against it. And then when you stand up, it'll kind of like help push you out of the chair a little bit. So yeah. Oh, that's smart. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I have a thing that I sometimes sit in in a car for my tailbone. Mm-hmm. But just in this chair, I'm like, screw it. I'm a man. I can sit in this chair for two hours. I'm not. And I get out and I'm like, Ugh. I'm leaving yeah. all this in, by the way. You should um, definitely have like a pillow, by the way. I have injured my tailbone before as a kid. And like that pillow saved my life. It, made it takes forever. Better. Yeah. Because you have to sit on your tailbone. Yeah. So and people are, hey, stay off your tailbone. Okay. Yeah. I won't lie down or sit <laughs> for the next several months. Yeah. And also I have MS. So I'll just stand here with MS for six months. Yeah. Good talk, doc. I'm leaving all this in. Um, <laughs> no editing at all. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's taken care of. So now this can continue. So yes. So we've established that I'm Jewish. And, um, and have like a people, tailbone injury. What's that? And you have a tailbone injury. A Jew with a tailbone injury walks into a bar with a black <laughs> Catholic. And I think, <laughs> I think you know where that's going, huh? Um we uh uh there's the, uh the the one of the one of my gentile jokes which that rat bastard jerry steinfeld stole from me apparently uh matt let me know that uh, jerry steinfeld's been stealing my uh jokes and uh, one of them is that one of one of my many uh gentile jokes which is uh gentile uh says to another gentile hey how's your health and the other gentile says great so um the um <laughs> wow okay so speaking of feminism (laughs) (laughs) speaking of feminism this is good now this is how these are every one of my shows is like this um gillette i don't know if you heard the surrey um but the they're in the news what (laughs) yeah gillette i know really right like you mean the razor company? Uh, so fresh on the heels of uh, Nike, uh, what was that? There we go. <laughs> Nike showing how uh, woke they are by um, um, selling shoes um, after showing Colin Kaepernick for forty seconds. Um, Gillette put out an ad uh, that was. It's it, it, so Matt and I talked about this. In my opinion, I'd like to get your opinion. Um, but in my opinion, it was a bunch of truisms mostly. It was like you shouldn't beat up people, and um, it's not you know a, a good man uh, will stop uh, bullying, and a good man won't uh, you know pretend that he's attacking a woman, and you know he'll because because. Zuri, um, uh, b- boys become men and are seeing that stuff. And by golly, you need to show them the good stuff, not the bad stuff. And, um, uh, because this is America, uh, everyone had a very, uh, measured and nuanced response to this ad. And, uh, um, uh, I-, I don't think I saw anyone burn their razors yet. Um, but that's p- possibly coming. Um, I just want to get your thoughts. Uh, have you, first of all, have you seen the ad? Yes, I watched okay. it twice. <laughs> watched it twice. I've watched it once. Matt watched it, I think, three times. 
Um, so between the two of us, we watched it an average of twice. Um, in case anyone doesn't know basic math, but um, uh, I just want what what were your thoughts on the ad and then the I guess the reaction to the ad? Well, uh, <laughs> feel like uh, going to be a lot of comments about it, but I loved it. I thought okay. it was a really good ad. Um, I thought it was perfect, <laughs> and I say that because one that is a good message of um i forget what their tagline is but the best a man can get yeah the best the man a man can get um and i know that i have grown up with men who were taught that being a man meant certain things right and i've seen how that's harmed the people around them um I have been in relationships with men who were taught that being a man means being a certain kind of thing. And I've seen how that harms themselves and it harms like them emotionally. And I know that like, that's really easy to make fun of for a lot of people. I can see that perspective, but at the end of the day, I know that there are a lot of people out there who just haven't had that training. Um, I've seen it in my own family, like with close family members. And it's just nice to see that that parenting style, I guess, is in the norm. And it's my hope for um, like the parents of my generation that they will teach their sons that, you know, it's okay to like have emotions. Um, it's okay to stand up to situations in a certain way. Like you don't have to fight all the time. But I think that's one thing I liked about the commercial was they showed real clips of like men being men. And I remember watching some of those clips. So like they showed the one guy who was breaking up a fight between two boys in his neighborhood. There's another guy, uh, another clip of the dad, um, making his daughter say that she's beautiful. She's yeah, smart. Yeah. 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 So I liked how they brought in the real examples of here's how men do things. And I think as a black woman, it was especially refreshing to see not only the commercial, but the examples used in the commercial because those were black men doing those things. And mm. like, I don't want to play on stereotypes at all. Um, I hate the stereotypes of like men in the black community. And I do think a lot of them are wrong, but right. that's not to say there aren't some issues that um, a lot of us have faced, I guess. Um, and like, okay. So I say that to mean um, like all the R Kelly stuff, for example, um, I know Jamil Hill um, wrote something for the Atlantic. A friend shared it with me. And she was talking about kind of the culture of silence that exists within the black community and how it harms girls who have been hurt by things like sexual assault. Um, And again, that's not to say it's everyone, but it's things like that are prevalent enough where like I do see how it hurts women um, who are victims of things like that. And I see how it hurts men who have bad relationships with people because they were never really taught how to have like healthy emotions and things like that. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. Yeah. I feel like I was honestly just rambling at this point. No, no, no. no. I mean, you made a good point. Cause so 
my reaction to it when I was seeing, for example, like the dad who stopped his son from beating up the other kid, and uh, you know when they were all sitting there going, "Boys will be boys," will be boys, and he like moved, he got off of his grill, um, and um, and said, you know, hey, that's not how we treat people, and that's what my dad would have said, right? Like so, all of the things that I saw in that in that ad were what I saw. So my reaction to it was, I think, a lot different than yours, or obviously a lot different than yours, because when I saw it, I'm like that's really how I was raised. So of course that's how it would be. Um, my glasses weren't raised well, of course. Um, but the, um, so the, I don't know why it's like, this is metal. Why is metal bending from nothing? Um, that's another subject we can get into later. Um, but the, uh, uh, um, so, so seeing that I was just sort of like, well, yeah, of course. Um, but you're right. And and that isn't everyone's experience. I want to touch on, on the black thing, uh, as I often do. God, I can't believe I said that. Um, uh, uh, like, no words. Anyway. I would like to touch on what you said and move past what I just said a minute ago. Um, I, I God. Um, uh, I completely, I can't believe it. So I, I'd like to touch on that. So I think part of, so a lot of things when people say like negative things that happen in the black community at large, I think a lot of those things are negative things that happen in the South and that then, including black people in the South, and then got sort of exported outside of the South by black people during the great exodus or whatever, you know, when black people started moving into the Midwest and the West and the North, they took a lot of those Southern things uh, sort of Scots, Scotch, Irish, Irish, Southern things. I like blaming things on the Irish, by the way. That's a running theme of the show. That um, most things, if you really boil it down, are are more than likely the fault of the Irish. Um, and this is one of them. Um, that you know they took these sort of Southern uh, conditioned things and and then you know moved them out because in high school I saw that the you know the prettiest and most developed high school girls, white and black were routinely being hit on men in by men in their late 20s, 30s, 40s and no one thought it was weird. No one or I shouldn't say that. Everyone knew it was wrong, but everyone just sort of went, "Oh, you know, she's built like that." And it was like, "No, she's 15. She's 14." this guy could easily be her father or grandfather. And it was definitely, I saw it a lot with black people, but I also saw it with white people. And I mean, I grew up in the South, so I, but I don't believe in talking to people outside of the South. I don't think it was as prevalent in, not in the South. Um, But then when I'll hear black people talk about it and they'll say, you know, this is something that's very unique to us. And I'm like, I think it's unique to the South. And then you guys took it with you. Um, and again, I have no data to back that up. That's sort of based on personal observation and, and, you know, talking to other people about it. Um, so I, I, maybe I should retool what I, what I think about this a little bit, because my reaction was like, okay, there wasn't anything particularly brave about what was being said. Like men should be nice to people. Okay, good, 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 good talk. But if, you know, I don't know how, 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 how much a, a, razor ad will 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 do for it but it at least is a good and positive message there's definitely an aspect of you know okay nike uh 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 you know is nike primarily concerned about 
social justice or, or, or the justice reform or, or Colin Kaepernick's advocacy, or are they primarily concerned with their core demographic and, 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 you know, selling more shoes as a result of it, which clearly worked because they made billions from it. Um, and, and it's probably a combination of the two. And I'm sure Gillette, you know, is faced with men who are increasingly refusing to shave and, uh, and, and, and women who are, are, um, are shaving and, and don't want to continue buying pink razors that cost twice as much. And, um, and that maybe they were, they were reaching out there, but, um, but that's, that's interesting that you, you had that you, uh, changed, I think you changed my mind actually. Well, um, I actually, I, there are two things you said that I do want to touch on one. Um, my bashing the Irish. No, (laughs) um, I'm sorry to all Irish people. I'm not. I'm not. Um, uh, (laughs) The fact that you said, um, like your dad, that's something your dad taught you. I think that's awesome. And I see a commercial like that, not saying that all men are bad, but as it used like those real world examples, I think it's kind of showing the people who need to hear that and see those examples that this is how a man acts. So for example, I feel like, you know, if there were like, uh, there, if there is a chance to mentor young men in your life, your dad's example would kind of be what that Gillette ad was. Right, 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 right. And I, like, I will honestly say like that boys will be boys thing. Like it does kill me because in my own family, on my dad's side, my sister and I, we were the only girls for a very long time and we were the oldest. So there was like a bit of a gap um, between like kids in the family. And then okay. right after it was like boy after boy after boy. And like they would do little things. Um, you know, they were just like, <laughs> I don't know. I was definitely just about to say they were just being boys, which is bad. But it's like, <laughs> and so there's boys will be boys, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's something that I need to work on because obviously, like, that's no excuse. But like, right. There, there were times where they crossed the line, and like my sister and I would like fight back, <laughs> or we'd tell someone, and it was the same type of oh, like leave them, They're boys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, you know, and it's just like yeah, but like. If they keep on doing that, they're going to get in real trouble and they're going to hurt real people when they get older. And like there are also those examples of men in my family who their behavior was excused and they're terrible. <laughs> um, like um, there's a family member. And oh, I thought you were going to start naming people like my uncle <laughs> Steve is a jerk and I hate him. OK, no, go ahead. I, like I don't want to go too deep into like. <laughs> specifics i guess but like there was a family member where he did have that upbringing of uh you know everything he did it's just because he was a boy and that's what boys did and i remember standing up for myself one time against him and some of the women in my family pulled me aside and they were like hey don't talk to him like that because he might set him off and it's like set him off (laughs) like that's a problem yeah 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 Yeah, and we all outnumber him so like if he does something to me like we outnumber him like overpower him. yeah um but also like i'm not gonna be afraid to be respected as an adult because you might get upset because people have told you all your life that that's okay 
And I remember having some of those same experiences in the church where I grew up. Um, and I remember um, telling my dad about like some of the messages that like boys had sent me from like youth group and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, it's funny because like the girls were always held to a very high standard, especially right. when it came to sexual things. Right. And like the boys were doing all of these things and like no one ever put them under like the same scope. So it's like, those are... I know that people's experiences are different, but those are the personal experiences that I have where I think that, yes, it's time to shatter those stereotypes. It's time to stop thinking that way. And it's time to raise people differently. And I definitely acknowledge that people have already done that, but I think more people need to hear. That's a good point. My one, my one question is, and is is specifically a, a messaging thing with the idea of, toxic masculinity um i know that it's not so this is sort of so like okay so black lives matter and people go are you saying white lives don't matter white lives matter too everyone's life matters it's like okay (laughs) The, 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 the message of black lives matter is saying yes everyone's life matters or should matter we're saying black lives matter and that they sh- or you know they should matter and we're asserting and whether you agree with it or not that yeah. for a lot of people black lives don't matter and so we're saying they do we're yeah. not saying that white lives don't matter or whatever like that um yeah. with toxic masculinity yes i realize that they're not saying masculinity is toxic they're not saying the toxic trait that is masculinity they're saying toxic toxic aspects i guess of, of, of masculinity masculinity my question is so I guess it's more a question of effectiveness. So when, when besides the fact that people take it as like, are you saying my masculinity is toxic? Um, like, no, like, but, no, we're not. But, yeah. but putting that aside, cause that's, that's just someone who's not really listening. Um, in, in my opinion, anyway, um, like my glasses are also, um, my glasses are very much an example of toxic masculinity. <laughs> um, but with the um, with with with, with and, and you know what this is like with the glasses, right? You also have to deal with internalized oh, yeah. racism from your glasses. I've definitely had to fix my glasses a bunch of times. So sorry. So you're, all so you're enjoying this, right? right. <laughs> yeah. So so with toxic masculine, and I was just talking with someone about this, and um, she was very upset at me. Um, but I I so how do I how do I word this? So in a way. Instead of just calling it toxicity and not saying, oh, women do it too. What about toxic femininity? femininity? But like, what, what's talk- recognize as a thing, by the way, just saying. So. Well, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure it is. But in, in, and I'm not trying to, you know, equivocate, well, women do it too and trying to, you know, do an all lives matter type of thing. But but by in a way tying toxic traits to masculinity instead of just saying these traits are toxic and the fact that you're a man is no excuse for it. The fact that you're masculine is no excuse for it. This is a bad thing and you shouldn't do it. By actually using a term like toxic masculinity, in a way, to some, besides the fact that some just take it the wrong way, in a way it almost sort of absolves, or, or it, instead of saying, okay, look, schmuck, just don't do that. I don't care if you're a man, woman, whatever, don't do it. If you if you add masculinity to it in, in a way, it almost undermines the message of cut this out because it's like, well, you're masculine, so you sort of are naturally inclined to do this, but don't do it anyway. 
yeah. um, is the message I get. And then, and then there's also the optics of it. And so the example that I gave, which went off really well, and you're about to see why. So for example, the, uh, so uh, taking into an entirely different subject, if we talk about the, 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 the poverty and violence that is in, um, black communities and in communities of color we know all of the reasons for that we know many of the reasons for that we know things like institutionalized racism we know about um you know toxicity that comes as a result of that we know about uh, lack of access to opportunities uh mm-hmm. we know about um you know this uh, uh uh negative stereotypes about black people and in many cases have been internalized so that you know there's this popular culture that's like doing the right thing is acting white we know all of these things and so there are two different ways we could message that to talk about it. We could say, hey, let's look at the roots of what are causing uh, disproportionately high amounts of, of, of violence and, and, and poverty in black communities. And let's, let's address those so that black people can live safer, uh, more prosperous, and more fulfilling lives. Or we can say, put an end to toxic blackness. Okay, that is fair, <laughs> but I will say... Um, um golly okay I'm at, <laughs> I'm at a big crossroads only because it's it's a personal issue that I realize right. I have I do hate when people say things like oh like black people can joke about this but what if a white person said it because it's just like I'm not saying you're doing this but no you- no, no and that and that it, I hope I then if if that's what you got from that I was communicating no, what I was saying entirely wrong no, that's not what I got from it from okay. you because I know that you're open to things and you're a critical thinker. I'm just saying in past experience, it's usually people who like just say that and like don't actually want to address the issue. Like, No, no, no. Yeah, no, that wasn't at all. Um, I was just giving that as an example of how it in, immediately alienates the people that you're, you know, in, it, by instead of saying, hey, instead of, instead of empathizing with the person that you're that you're wanting to help mm-hmm. to to affect change on on something that's that everyone can acknowledge is a bad thing um it sort of puts them on the defensive and alienates them i guess is what i was trying to say no yeah for sure and i i think that that's fair and like because you said it <laughs> um i think <laughs> that perspective um and it's funny like i was literally just talking about this with someone last night on twitter um because i said uh democrat donors being mad Adam Senator Gillibrand, maybe it's Gillibrand. It's definitely messing up her last name. I'm so. I, sorry. I think it. I think it is Gillibrand. Actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, I apologize for that. But um, I, I tweeted uh, that like Democrat donors being mad at her for um making Al Franken like kind of rectify like his mistakes. I said right. that was a part of rape culture, <laughs> and um, one person responded, and they were like what's the definition of rape culture? Like, right. that sounds really... So um, I was explaining that um, that in that particular instance, um, ignoring sexual misconduct because you personally agree with someone's politics, um, like excusing it, excusing yeah. that behavior in someone that you like while simultaneously calling out that behavior in someone that you don't like, um, that just like kind of helps like that helps predators that does nothing for the victims. So I was explaining it that way. Right. And the person said that, um, like maybe a better way to say that, like there were just like different ways semantically 
to say that. And I could see that point of view. And I will say that um, people have taken terms like rape culture, toxic masculinity, feminism even. um, And they've created very negative caricatures of it. And they only have swung the pendulum too far. Um, Or like white privilege is another one that, 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 has been turned into by some into like, Oh, well you're white. So nothing bad can happen to you because of yeah. white privilege. Or, yeah, right. For sure. So, and I think it's because people tend to react more um, negatively to like that intensity. I think right. that that does cancel out some terms, but at the end of the day, I think it would help people who care about those things to message to those people because there are things that we can agree on. For example, even though um, just now, like you weren't really feeling the Gillette ad, like there are components of it that we can agree on. And like, I definitely do agree that like kind of some of the messages and social justice um, issues, like the people who care about them have to recognize that, there are people on the other side who would agree with them. It's just the terms <laughs> like they've been damaged by people. Um, so I, I feel like it would benefit people to um, recognize that those perspectives exist and then try to find ways to meet those people where they are. Yeah. And and, and that's so like, for example, rape culture or even white privilege those terms don't really, I, I don't, I don't see those. I could see how someone could potentially get alienated by the, term white privilege if they don't take the time to find out what it actually means just because white is in there so i think sometimes when you put someone's identity in there like exact the exact example if i were to say toxic blackness but 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 i meant it to mean you know internalized racism and 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 uh you know uh conditioned misogyny and 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 uh you know uh the the, the suffering uh you know reaction to the effects of institutionalized racism and all of these things but i yeah. phrase it in such a way that it makes it sound like well you're black so you're toxic or you're a toxic type of black that a similar thing with the masculinity rape culture it's to me is is pretty self-explanatory that it's it is cultural things that either perpetuate rape or make it easier or excuse it away or ignore it or make it tougher for survivors to and victims to you know actually say it happened and then to you know explain away oh well that was a long time ago and things like that Um, she was asking for it because she wore something yeah she asked for it because she was wearing something or why is she coming out with it now and it's like well maybe because she's seeing how you're treating the ones that are coming out now um, so that kind of stuff I, I, I get. And, and even with white privilege, the first time I heard it, my immediate reaction was like, I've had tough things happen to me too. And it's like, and, and I had to kind of think, I, I think this person is intelligent enough to know that maybe I should find out what they actually mean. And then actually reading what that meant that, you know, talking about the fact that my white skin more than likely, uh, has never actually, uh, been a hindrance to me in a major way you know maybe an individual might not like me but but no one is uh, it, it, people in positions of, of authority over me are not making negative assumptions about me because of my skin color it, mm-hmm. it, if you had to boil it down to a sentence um and i guess a similar thing with toxic masculinity but i i guess to me it's like so i saw that ad and i wasn't actually offended or bothered by anything in the ad i, I guess my initial reaction was like well yeah of course and i guess i was surprised that anyone was reacting strongly one way or the other i was just like yeah. yes kids shouldn't beat up other kids of course and it was like 
why are we still talking about this? Like, yes, of course. Um, so, but that, so it, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad that we talked about that because I, I hearing what you, what you had to say, I think it, 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 everyone didn't have, you know, uh, 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 the, the parenting or structuring that I had and, and, and didn't see the same things I did. So, mm-hmm. so thank you. Oh, yes. And uh, I did say I had two points on that. So yes, I, yes, I, please, like, please. You said something about um, basically like they're reaching out that like, you know, they're just appeasing their base. And first of all, obviously, yes, like it is marketing 101. Of course, um, right. You can't upset your base for real. <laughs> but right. I think that's a good sign of because they can run an ad like that, like there is hope for the future because like that is an idea that more people accept. Like not even just talking about it from like the women's standpoint, but like guys being able to express emotion. Like, you know, you always get like the man up if like a little boy is crying, but like now yeah. people are more accepting of the fact that boys are people too. And sometimes they <laughs> cry about things and right. that's simple. Like that's simple. But obviously, people didn't believe it for a long time. So I think that there are good things that are obviously going to help girls in the future. But I think there are good things that that are going to help boys as well. So, yeah. And, and, and again, that's so I wasn't and I saw kids that were guys that, you know, boys, my friends and stuff that were told stuff like man up and, you know, boys don't cry or whatever. Like that isn't what I was told. Like, you know, if I was crying about something if I was, you know, just pouting because I'm a kid pouting, it's one thing. But like, if I'm legitimately upset about it, you know, my parents were going to talk to me about it and try to figure out what was going on. I, you know, I wasn't told, you know, man up and, and, and things like that. And, um, you know, but I, but I did see that. So I think it's just, a, it's a, just a difference in, um, I guess, I guess my reaction is an example of my, uh, having being well adjusted or something that I'm like, well, of course you don't beat up kids. Um, yeah. so, um, so yeah, so I had something else here. I think that that is is everything. So, okay. Was there anything you wanted to talk about? No, I think we hit on a lot of interesting, unless you want to talk about yourself. I'm totally open to that. I think I kind of did talk about myself a lot. I said my back and I, my back, my neck, my back. Uh, I'm in pain. Well, Zuri, it has been so awesome having you on. I'm so glad that we finally got to, to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. <laughs> and I hope that I hope that we can get you on more often. Um, before I let you go, um, are there any final thoughts, anything that you want to share, anything that you felt like we didn't get to talk about, any upcoming stuff that you'd like to plug, any, uh, you would mention a new article, any new articles you want to plug, anything that you want to talk, Zuri Davis, the floor is yours. Well, um, no plug as of yet, only because... Um, this project, it's going to be like a few months long. So I'd hate to say anything too early. Because uh, <laughs> it's coming out in September. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A, a little bit quicker than that. But yeah, <laughs> kind of far out. Okay. Uh, but I just think that I think our conversation was awesome. And even though you and I are definitely like, our political beliefs are essentially the same. Like even we had differences. And I think that's just a testament to how important it is to not only respect perspectives, but to search out more than just your own. And I'm like really happy that you shared um, like your thoughts and different things, especially that ad um, because it was so moving to me. And like, 
when I saw people complaining about it, I did just roll my eyes like, okay, here comes like the conservative outrage machine, just like <laughs> stupid things to be mad at. Burning but, my Gillette. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like your perspective is legitimate and that is fair. And that's something that I'll take into account now when I talk about those things. So um, just for all the people listening, don't assume that you know everything because you don't. And there are literally 7 billion people plus probably on this world and they all grew up differently and they have different values. And it's more important to try to build bridges than to go on Facebook and have arguments with random people behind a screen. So... Absolutely. There are so many different points of view on this beautiful flat earth of ours. <laughs> yes, um, the flat earth. <laughs> the flat earth. Was it at members all around the globe? <laughs> yeah, flat earth members all around the globe. I mean, I'm a member of many, many flat earth groups. And, and frankly, you know, when, when you do something, ask yourself, if the turtle looked up from the horizon, would they be happy with what they saw? Jesus. You doing, guy? Um. I guess, well, okay, so I do have a final, final thought, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, it has to relate to my tag, and I would just like to put forth the idea that the best people were born in the month of February. One, it's Black History Month, so obviously it is already the best month of the year, but I was born in February, and so was Frederick Douglass, so I think that's a huge testament to the people born in February. That is a that is a parting thought. ETFO, <laughs> mm-hmm. all the other eleven monthers. Oh yeah, no, they're totally irrelevant. They don't matter at all. It's all about the month of February. <laughs> to the left, all of you off to the left. Um, so Suri, thank you so much again for joining. Um, stick around with me. I'm going to talk with you during the uh, outro, um, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this special wholesome sabbath episode this shabbat episode of my fellow americans uh oh yeah because it's friday so yeah this so the the writer's block already happened i normally would tell you to check out the writer's block but you already checked out the writer's block because this is friday friday night shout out to rebecca black shout out to rebecca black <laughs> oh the friday night girl yeah i'm like who the hell is rebecca black? <laughs> okay yes i'm like Yes, Rebecca Black. Okay. Yes, Rebecca Black. Thank you for joining us. And uh, check us out next Tuesday on the Muddied Waters of Freedom, where we will talk about every single thing of importance that happened between the time that we signed off the last time and the time that we're signing on again on Tuesday. But again, thank you for joining us. Uh, Shabbat Shalom, everyone, to the millions of Jews watching this and Seventh-day Adventists. Um, And thank you again for joining us and my fellow Americans. We will see you soon. God bless you.
friends. In reality, you are my kin. Though I view the world through another's eyes. If you slide in my kicks, it might fit. We might just unite and come together, become hybrid. At the least, slightly like-minded. Indeed, the life I've lived brings light to kindness. All you need is a sign. Put a cease to the crimes. Put an ease to the minds like mine. Sometimes darkness is all I find. You know what they say about an eye for an eye in a time with the blind the blind. Who am I to deny? I would cry when a loved one dies. I recognize that body outside with a hole in the body that was alive. Now they find with a chalk outline. Find out how, but you never know why. It ain't even make it to the news at night. It ain't even make it to the news at nine. That's my sister, mother, father, brother, son. That's one of mine. All these years I close my eyes. Open up the only fine. I'm in line. There's a point in this murder. I live all the time. Either lose your life or mine.